The year is 1980. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to the first recorded My Marvelous Year episode of 2020. Welcome to the New Year My Marvelous Year Club. We will not be talking about comic books of 2020 today, as today we are beginning the 1980s. This is 1980 Year One. My Marvelous Year is the podcast where we talk about all the Marvel comics, best Marvel comics from Origins to today, on a year-by-year basis and throughout 2020 and beyond we will be discussing the Marvel comics of the 1980s. It's a big shift in quality. It's a big shift in content. We have the era of Marvel events coming our way this decade. A lot of things are changing, but today we are sort of in that transitional period getting into the new decade, and we are excited to share some very good comic books and conversation with you. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. I am joined today by the only guest I have on this show <laughs> it's zach dean how's it going zach good how's it going dave uh oh oh you sound you sound down already oh, that joke is just it's killing me it's just it's uh, i wasn't joking like the joke was no. there's no because usually i say like the only guy who doesn't yeah, yeah. like chris claremont it's zach right but today it was like no you're just the only guy like that's just that's i'm I mean, deflating the, the that, joke that bothers me is that I mean, not enough people know this. This is my show, and you're the guest on My Marvelous Year. See, now, the thing that bothers me is what you just said. How dare you? Yeah, I mean, that, that is also a very retired joke on this podcast. Both retired jokes. Okay, retiring New Year. Right now. It is the first of the year as we record we're this. Dipping both right of back those bad jokes, they're gone. Old they're done, right? We're going into mm-hmm. the 80s. We're going to come up with new material. Is it going to be funnier? No. You're stuck no. with us. No, I'm no, sorry. No. Right? No. It's if yeah. you get what you pay for. But it will be new. Not funny, but new. Right, exactly. The originality, freshness content is going to be there. Uh, what is also going to be there are Marvel Comics released in 1980 today. You can find the reading lists in the show notes of the podcast. You can find them over on wherever I post these things, on comicbookherald.com. You can find them uh, most frequently updated on patreon.com slash year as well. You don't... Do you have to be a... Um, a supporter to see the week's uh, issues. A dollar a month gets you the weekly uh, newsletter. So if you can spare a buck a month, then you will get a newsletter every week that will let you know the schedule, the upcoming, the couple, the comics for the next upcoming issue. Jesus Christ. The comics this is for the two ra- Have you been practicing episodes. during Christmas? Oh Did God. you take elocution right. lessons? I'm, I'm just going to start over again with how good at podcasting I was at the beginning of 2019. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, so... You look like a bug uh, just attacked I, you. What's going on over there? Um, I don't know. I'm just... Are you okay? I'm just, I'm just a... Me- you know, it's like hot, but it's cold, and the headphones were bothering me, and I'm just stressed out. Are you, are you super hungover from your New Year's Eve? Is that the issue? No, I was... Uh, it was the absolute least I've ever paid attention to New Year's Eve happening. Like, my wife went to sleep at 
11 o'clock. Yeah. I was editing my ultimate year so it could come out today uh-huh. on the first when I like didn't notice it was past midnight to like 1220 <laughs> when I finished editing the episode. So you made it, so. but you didn't even notice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 I love the, uh, I was hanging out in the Slack watching our Slack members all chat about their New Year's Eve and it went from, you know, like, I'm on my 11th shot to like, my six-year-old is puking in bed right now. Like, it was this whole spectrum of New Year's Eve experiences. All pukey, but whether it was from right, your own right. over-imbibing or feeding your children too much I'm impressed. food. <laughs> I'm impressed the six-year-old got to 11 shots. I was definitely not doing that many at that mm. age. That is that is a powerhouse yeah, right there. I wanted I want to say before we go any farther, yeah. 1979 Part 1, I think. We have said this a bunch before. It is a great year. For jumping into the club, I think the comics are accessible. The a lot of storylines launch then. Things are just going to be on an upward tra- trajectory. Trajectory from then, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also I think that episode 1979 Part One is a very good one uh, for like newcomers to start in. So, as a favor to me, if you're hearing this, tell a friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell a friend. Bring him into the club. You know, like spread the word. I think this is a good time to start, especially if you have tell a hard a stranger. time saying. Yeah, tell a stranger, please. Yeah, that sounds good, too. I mean, honestly, we've gotten a couple Patreon backers from, like, yeah, I've got a coworker I don't really talk to, but I know they like comics, and I told them about the show, and they started listening, so. There you go. Tell Uh, your coworkers that you don't really know. In in 2020, it would be nice. It's been, uh, I think it's been a couple months since we had them. It's really slowed yeah, down. I would say so. we need one or two 2020 reviews, just so when people check, they're like, has anyone reviewed this this year? We need that. Yeah, that would be yes. very nice. If yeah, you yeah. like the show and you have not yet reviewed it, please consider heading over to iTunes. That does help us quite a bit. And honestly, more it, like more than helping us reach people, it helps us feel good about ourselves. Yeah, that that's too. Really what it's always a nice here. little a nice little uh, jolt. Yeah, little I think like one thing energy. that's one thing that's underrated is is like how desperately I crave um, validation. Validation. Yeah. Thank you sure. for validating yeah, yeah, yeah. that word for me. Um, yeah. it, it is seriously desperate. Like I, anything I write, anything I publish, anything I record, if I don't hear positive feedback immediately and often, it's I, I'm an anxious wreck, right? Everyone hates it. I'm certain of it. Um, that's not entirely true, but that's also not entirely false. So <laughs> thanks to those of you. Oh, I always I always like your posts, whether or not I like them or not, just to uh, to give you that little bit of buzz. Does it mean oh, anything if you yeah, see yeah. that Zach liked your tweet, or is that at this point it's just like, yeah, whatever? Right? It's it's a given. It's no, a no. Like honestly, like- I'm so I'm so bad at social media and at it. Just like like I know people are looking at my stuff. I have a a baseline of attention on comic book herald you know where i know like people are seeing this stuff but honestly anything that is like hey i read this is is comforting um for example the person who commented on the best comics of the decade hub uh today that said how did paper girls not make this list and nothing idiot. else no validating no i'm calling they read my idiot. post oh you're calling me i haven't an idiot. even <laughs> you i know, haven't read paper it is girls actually and i know you're an idiot well it is a fair question <laughs> um it is a fair question because I kind of don't know the answer. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I think it's because I haven't read all of it. I, I'm, uh, I'm behind, yeah, yeah. right? Sure. It's one of those things where uh, when you're a, a sole person compiling such definitive lists, there is a capacity limit. There is no capacity limit to the amount of Marvel Comics we can read and talk about, though. Let's begin getting into the Marvel Comics oh, of wait, 19. Wait. I just want to tell you, I went to my local library for the first time, and they have a pretty good comic selection. Oh, my gosh. Of, uh, You've discovered libraries. They're amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, it's like Hoopla kind of fills that in for most things. Um, 
But the, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I got Infinite Kung Fu, which I am very excited to read. And I know it's a a favorite of yours, right? Yeah. Love Infinite Kung Fu. Highly recommended. I believe that does pretty well. It's in like your top 20 of all time. Yeah. I've got it super high. It's not in my top 20 of all time, but it's like top 50. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's let's jump in with lots of Spider-Man. You know what's not in my top 20 of all time? Uh, Anything we read today, although there's some good stuff. I will say. So we're going to talk a lot of Spider-Man, uh, a really essential Captain America issue, a deceptively fun Iron Man story, a big character introduction. We haven't had one of those in a minute. And yep. also some Daredevil getting real good. And in the mix, more Hulk content than you can shake a stick at. This is a huge Hulk uh, conversation, basically. Yeah, weird, right? Which like, is weird because there's only technically one Incredible Hulk issue on the reading list today. But Hulk is all over this this uh, this bulk of comics or batch of comics. The uh, you were saying like maybe nothing is incredible, but I think well the Hulk something is. about this era is that like everything is just starting to become really confident. Everything we're reading is like confident and yeah. competent, and you just feel like taken along for the ride. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when you read a Silver Age comic, there's just that little bit of friction that you have to push your way through it, and you kind of have to, like, put a little more energy into, like, okay, the scene's changing here, and, you know, I need to read all this dialogue and kind of parse what's important. Like, there's, you know, this villain's going to monologue for nine panels. Mm -hmm. Probably most of it is not actually important character or plot-wise. It's just kind of vamping. And we're getting to just, like, a lot leaner comics that you, you just feel like you're being... You're in good hands, even if I don't think they're doing incredibly innovative work. I think right. just the, the floor is that much higher. And we've been saying this, I think every four years I say this exact same thing. Yeah, but I do think in some cases right now that is becoming increasingly true in terms of like reliable, consistent, creative partnerships on the titles definitely give mm-hmm. that sense of confidence and stability. I think so like Captain America, we're entering Roger Stern writing John Byrne doing art stage of things, right? And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, this is... The, the cre- creative pedigree here is of a high caliber, and some of these issues are going to be interesting. Some of them are going to be way more middle of the road, but it's by these teams where it's like, I I know I can expect a baseline level of, of quality. Same with Iron Man, where you have Michelini writing and Bob Layton doing like finished art. We saw them with Demon in the Bottle. We kind of know what they're capable of. And then, of course, with Daredevil, we're in the Roger McKenzie, Klaus Janssen, and, of course, Frank Miller era, where that book is just like... If you like one, read them all because <laughs> they're really good and they continue to be. They continue to improve, frankly, um, as Miller really hones his skill. So let's start off with actually, I would say, the book that is in the most transitional state of flux um, for the worse, in my opinion. And that is mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man and also his uh, his co-series, I guess, if you will, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Now, Spider-Man, it, we've been saying this for a couple years now, that his comics have peaked. Right. Like, I don't think there's any denying as he approaches here, the 200th issue, the milestone, like mm-hmm. Spider-Man is in a very is in a holding pattern and the character is doing quite well. Right. Like he has that live action TV show. There's Spider-Man and his amazing friends, I think, coming shortly in terms of cartoons, like in terms of cross media, Spider-Man's still a bigger deal than he's ever been, I guess. Um, yeah. But the comics are are not doing much new. Uh, so let's talk about the 200th issue, a milestone issue. And it's one that I include because it's a milestone and because I think it's a really bad idea <laughs> executed generally not very well. What was your take on number 200? 
Oh my god, I was positive I was going to come in here with like, I don't know, just kind of being lukewarm on this. And you just, you know, calling me insane. This seems like the kind of thing you would like, be like, no, it's incredible. It, you know, it just... Uh... Amazing Spider-Man number 200? Yeah, I don't know. It no, felt like the kind of thing you I don't you just would... say everything is incredible. Well, Far from it. I, mean, I say the good stuff more, is incredible, and you're a lot the more bad scared stuff of the fans than is I am. the stuff you like. So, kind of the bad boy of the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're such a bad A-word coming in here. <laughs> um, no, I really did think you were going to defend this more. I, You know what? I Honestly, I don't... Uh, no, I think this is, I think I this is a bad I idea would... for Spidey, and I think it's a bad idea for Batman, and both of them have tried it. <laughs> And it doesn't quite. Oh, work. oh, you mean? Okay, I was gonna ask. What do you mean specifically? So you mean like bringing in the guy who killed Uncle Ben? Yeah. So what happens in two hundred is we go back to the burglar, as he's called here, the original yeah, yeah, burglar yeah. who killed Uncle Ben in Amazing Fantasy number fifteen on his way to um to escape the police. Right? He's the the basically the idea in Amazing Fantasy is just like Uncle Ben, kind of wrong place, wrong time, wouldn't back down for this criminal. Spider Man let him get away. And this is how he learns his his guilt <laughs> for the rest of his life. And also, with great power must come great responsibility. The 200th issue dives back to it. It also recaps the origin, um, which isn't a terrible idea. You know, it has been 17 years at this point in, in yeah. real time since the comic debuted. Um, and obviously, like, there's no Marvel Unlimited. It's not as easy to get an amazing fantasy in your hands. But, uh, you know, it takes the burglar and it re- retells his story now with the new details that you know the burglar was actually going to the parker house because they got them some buried treasure yeah but not really it's just like a box full of uh like moth eaten i don't know dollar old old bank bonds or something sure right yeah and yeah. i i think batman does a similar thing every now and again where they go to joe chill the man who killed batman's parents God, that, and it's that just like really batman antagonists joe chill very low on my list of of villains i'm excited to see even lower than that though if we're crossing publishers and characters you know the biggest characters on either franchise frankly uh the burglar i I do not care about his backstory i do not care about any additional information that might be added here um and oh i don't know i you know i don't it it doesn't work for i didn't get that vibe from this really at all that this was trying to be like fleshing out the original story i it probably is unnecessary to give it the well it's trying to spice it up you know it's trying to give that detail of like yeah there's you know there was treasure under their house which is dumb yeah, I think that's that's unnecessary, but it's also not the the like core of what's going on here. I mean, the the core of what's happening here is it's basically testing the testing Spider-Man's growth, you know? He lost his powers because <laughs> he OD'd on antidepressants or something. Oh no, that, just that on Mysterio force-fed him or Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I he didn't, he didn't just uh, pop some pills, yeah. Yeah. Um so he doesn't have his powers, which kind of, I don't know. Which is actually I mean, not, an interesting premise. Does Spider-Man lose his abilities to, when he's to, depressed? Oh, right. Yeah. No, when I first read that, I, I thought something like that. Um, you know, something along the lines of Spider-Man just being too depressed. No, I think it's not a terrible idea to strip his powers away for this kind of, like, moral test, right? Because it's not about how strong he is or how, you know, it's about, like, his determination and it's about his heroism, I guess, right? Like, his, the idea that... It doesn't matter if he has powers or not. He still has a responsibility to do good. But then he also veers on this like revenge versus justice thing with coming after this guy. I think this totally works. I think the comic moves. I think it's extra long. It's like 35 pages. It doesn't really feel like it to me. It sung right along. You dug this one. It's just another. 
I no, I don't think I dug it. I just didn't dislike it. It just kind of feels like, yeah, we've seen Aunt May in trouble before. We've seen oh, Spider-Man. She, oh, she's dead here, by the way. To, uh, spoiler warning. She's, oh, uh, she's mean, dead when this issue opens. Right, yeah, that's right, yeah. But she's it, not really going to protect her and save her. It's just like motivations and tests that we've seen before. In not even like in different terms. Like, I feel like we've seen almost this exact same thing, just not the same guy, right? Like, Well, and that's what we keep seeing with Spidey, right? When we, when we talk right. about holding pattern, it's like, and we say the same thing with Fantastic Four for a while here. It's like, yeah, they're doing the same stories. They're just putting a little bit of shine on them, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think they're better at doing these stories than they've ever been. It's just the same stories we've been seeing for 17 years. Um, well, I don't, I don't yeah, think they're so better I, at it, I guess, is where I would disagree. I mean, I think Stan and Steve are much better at it than where they are now. It's also oh, I, when it's I don't think so, but, you know, I guess they were, like, innovative when they were doing it, and they are just taking this, like, foundation and polishing it up, and I think they're... I Because this is a... Uh, who is this? Marv Wolfman uh, writing. Oh, yeah. Oh! And... Kevin Pillard. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Keith Pillard, Jim Mooney. Keith Pillard. Yeah. Um, Glenna Swine, colorist, John Costanza Letters. So, I, yeah, I, I don't want to belabor the point beyond just, like, I, I guess at the core of it, I don't like the idea... And I especially, if, if I don't like the concept to begin with, I definitely don't want an oversized issue out of it. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I guess I didn't really care about the concept. That didn't bother me because it didn't do something where it was like, it didn't change or fundamentally alter the initial premise. That's true. Right? It's good like, at that, I guess. It, it didn't, you know, say that like the burglar wasn't, you know, I mean, the idea is that like Peter Parker let this burglar go. And because of that, he ended up at the Parker house and killed Uncle Ben. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't change that. This doesn't, you know, like, I don't know. Like, if it wasn't this burglar, it would have been someone else or whatever. I, I don't know what the circumstances would have been to change that. Yeah. So, and I do yeah, like I the resolution know, like, here. You know, so you have Spidey resolving, like, I'm going to kill this guy. You know, because yeah, at this point, sure. he thinks he thinks he both killed Uncle Ben and Aunt May. So, like, I guess that's the, the thing that is immediately undone, but that would have been a terrible addition to the Spidey mythos would be if the same guy now killed his aunt as well. Um, yes. Because then yes. it would be like... Then I think it would be almost impossible to root for this resolution. But he does see that Aunt May is alive. The Virgo threatens her again. Spidey stops him. And he has the chance, once again, to take out his anger on him. And he doesn't, right? But actually what does happen is he's so mad and so intimidating that the uh, Burglar has a heart attack and actually dies of his own accord. Yeah, right. So right, right. it's Which, a little, um, it's a little. I mean, bit we're like literally going to see that in somebody else's. Like Daredevil's origin gets retold. That's the same exact resolution. I kind of yeah, hate that true. as the resolution of like that. I feel like that happens all the time. It's a like, weird cop out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a uh, Daredevil season one. That's why that's a bad season of television. <laughs> Wait, when does that happen in Daredevil season one? I actually don't remember. Like, Spoilers for DD season one, I guess. Not really. I mean, I feel. I thought we've talked about this specifically. There's a guy who's. There's a guy who like intimidates his way out of trial. Uh huh. You know, like he can't be brought to justice by normal means, and uh -huh. Daredevil like chases him down an alley, and then it's like, what are you going to do? Arrest him again? Because he just got out of yeah being prosecuted. And so they have to do something with him. Daredevil's not going to kill him. He can't get prosecuted again. There's literally no out here because Daredevil doesn't kill people. Yeah. And the guy, like, I can't remember. He uh, he fesses up who Kingpin is. And then because he's so scared of Kingpin, he stabs himself in the face with, like, a sharp piece of metal. Like, stabs mm. himself through the eye and mm -hmm. kills himself. Yeah. And it feels that total, like, oh, yeah. I mean, this has to resolve somehow, right? Like, right. He, what are you going to do with this guy otherwise? He has to die through some deus ex machina. And that that's what exactly what this feels like. You know? Sure. Although they didn't even have to kill him. He could have gone to jail. That would have been fine. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like that was just throwing a little 
you know, meat to the audience of like, this guy doesn't get away with it, right? He still does get his just deserves, even if it's sure. not Spider-Man. I don't know. Who knows? Sure. What's more okay. interesting, I'd say, is is uh, 210, which is the introduction of Madam Web. Sure uh, is. Who I don't really know why, but I really love Madam Web. Like, reading this again, I was like, this is not particularly outstanding, but, like, there's something about Madam Web that's super intriguing to me. Like, her design and just the, like, the weirdness she brings to the Spider-Man little universe is, yeah. uh, is like, a real breath of fresh air for me. I have and, the same reaction to her, and I believe cool. it's because... Cool. Um, She's sitting on that giant chair. She's got a really cool so webby cool. chair. She's wearing a blindfold. <laughs> awesome. Well, her role in the 90s animated series is a huge contributor. Like, every time she mm. shows up, it's this wild mystery. And it's just, she's full of potential and intrigue. So, Madam yeah. Web is her introduction here by writer Denny O'Neill and art by John Romita Jr., um, continuing the legacy of, of dad John Romita on Spider-Man titles. Uh, basically, she's a clairvoyant that one of Spidey's girlfriends, I don't know, is it Deborah Whitman, I think, um, yes. is going to go see. And uh, Spidey kind of mocks the idea of seeing a fortune teller, but then ultimately fate leads him to her. And it turns out she's actually got some pretty wild, like, seeing the future powers. Every time Madame Webb shows up in the 90s animated series, when she shows up in... Um, the video game Shattered Dimensions, it's like, uh, you know, she's like tapping into the multiverse of spiders. She's tapping into future timelines. She's just got like a lot of, oh, this story's going to get cool potential. And it's mm -hmm. kind of very, very briefly brought up here. Because um, here she oh, really yeah, just get, acts as a You get no idea what she is teller. except a strange woman who's like on life support. By the she looks machine. cool as heck, though. Oh, she looks so cool. I yeah. like the Spider-Man comes in and he's like something about like, I thought I was the only spider aesthetic in town. Like, Yeah, because she's got him beat uh, by far with the webs and all oh, these like, yes. it's these crazy like life support system that's built into her wheelchair that apparently her husband built. I want to know more about that. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah. yeah, she's she's an interesting character. I think the story itself, I, I can't even remember hardly what happens. I just like it for the introduction it of was the whole, the whole thing about they've been teasing for a while. Peter Parker is working for the Daily Globe, I think, oh, and yeah. there's like a mysterious publisher, and it's revealed who the publisher is, and then there's this other person who's doing like a hostile takeover by impersonating them. It works. It's I think it's totally functional. Like, um, I was, I had fun reading it. I forgot it pretty soon after, but like it wasn't a slog by any means. Uh, I mean, it's good. It's good Peter Parker banter and workplace stuff. It's just, you know, the, you know what the thing is? You like, are I, selling I, it. Sell it, baby. I, I mean, Got I like it more Stan than you Lee do. Stanley Hucksterism. Get... Workplace stuff. <laughs> Ooh, baby. Talk to me. Yeah. The, the, what was I going to say? The thing about this is that I think, I wonder if I would be so hard on this if we hadn't just read 17 years of Spider-Man in the past 12 months, right? Because it's like, if this is where I started reading Spider-Man, if it's mm -hmm. 1980 and I start picking up Spider-Man comics and I read them, this is great, right? Like, these are great comics. It's kind of just with the context of having read years and years and almost two decades of them, right? Do you, do you agree on that? Like, Well, I don't. I, I don't think they're great comics, actually. I think we are still stuck. I think Spidey, Spidey needs a kick in the pants as bad as anyone here, and he's not going to get it. But you're saying quite stuck in context of like <clears throat> it's just doing the same stuff it's always been doing. Yeah, like, but I'm saying like, even if you started here, these are not the best Spider-Man stories by far. Like these are these are oh, transitional. See, I, I kind of think I like the introduction like something... of Madame Web. We're gonna so the next series we read is Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man, and these are we start to see the beginnings of someone who's going to be a very good Spider-Man writer for a, a bit here is Roger Stern doing some of this work, and these stories as well are. Yes. That's are the forgettable. God, we have the opposite reaction because as soon as well, Roger I'm glad you Stern like them because that's why I include them. Is like 
PPSSM, um, which is what I call my Saturday nights. Hey now. But I'm Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thanks. Uh, yeah, they're um, these to me are like at like the middle of the road ist Spidey stories, basically. Oh, they, these I think were pretty dull. I got pretty bored with most of these. Um, because it was like one issue of what's her name? Not the seamstress. The uh, talking about Madame Bellina. Do you remember? Yes. Yeah. 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 Who like? Yeah, I don't I, know what her deal. I definitely is. had She's a strong just, like, sense a villain of in why the fashion did I world. This. Yeah. I... <laughs> I didn't know either because I was like, by the end of it, I was like, it's not a particularly interesting villain. It's not a so, particularly like noteworthy story. Well, Steve retroactively, Lay-Lohan. I know why I did, and I, I hesitate to even say it. It's kind of spoilery if I say anything. Oh, well, so no, nah, just leave it. We'll yeah, stick with it. Steve Leloha is that? How do you know? How do you say that? I think you just did. Leloha and Alan Gordon, I think, are doing really good work. Uh, in forty three and forty five, or forty three and forty four, it reminds me of Frank Miller a lot, actually. Mm. Um, a lot of the same like coloring choices. They do a lot of like, here's the the character that we're focusing on. They're getting colored in, but the background, all the people and all the stuff in the background gets you know these kind of like single colored things. You know, like focusing your eye and what's important, using like kind of color temperature to um, add to the like add to the scene and add to the setting of the scene instead of mm-hmm. just these kind of generic backgrounds. I think they're doing really good work. Um, Peter Parker is teaching a class, which I like this thing. He's teaching a class and he's terrible at it, of course, because he's like always late. So let's talk about that for a second, actually, because one of the one of the interesting things here and reasons to include it is the transition in terms of Spider-Man's life that I think often gets a little overlooked because there aren't like the big um, iconic Spidey stories in here. But there's all sorts of things happening here, like his relationship with Deb Whitman, like him being a teacher's assistant, like him working in a lab (laughs) as a teacher's assistant at night. There's a lot of like little things like that that have kind of gotten pulled. You know, I mentioned the 90s animated series, stuff like that gets pulled into his thing there. Him becoming a teacher is a big recurring potential theme for him for the character's development right now that he's like post-grad i think that stuff's actually interesting in terms of letting peter parker age a little bit you know letting him move and right now like he's out of a relationship with mary jane watson she's around but they're not together so we are seeing like if you're a big spidey fan you know it is kind of crucial to read here because there's a lot that happens in his life um in terms of actually moving the ball forward a bit that is that is helpful it also i think it's in 44 that they introduce um, my favorite character <laughs> in Marvel Comics so far. He's only in for three panels, uh, but that's Harvey K. Farber. <laughs> okay. And Peter Parker shows up late to class, and the class is empty except for one nerdy kid who's sitting yeah. there, and he's like, nothing's more important than a good education to Harvey K. Farber. And then Peter Parker's like, oh, okay. Uh, and then the next panel just has Harvey standing up from his seat and going, teach me, sir. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. Got, literally laughed out loud at that, like... <laughs> There's nothing else to it. It just cut away from that. But just this weird kid who uh, yeah. <laughs> insisted on being taught. Um, Spider-Man gets hit in the face with gas by Belladonna, which is absurd. Um, it's very funny because that happened. Oh, he gets hit in the face with gas in 43 by Belladonna. Mm-hmm. And then in 44, one of these like mobster guys has a flower on his lapel and he squirts gas out. And Spider-Man even says like, ah, gas again. I just got gassed. Like, yeah, yeah, he <laughs> joker gasses look- him. 
which that it's not even the first time he's been gassed out of somebody's like lapel flower. Like and Kingpin what? does it back in a uh, Ex- yeah, exactly. Like why is this such a this is the biggest weakness for Spider-Man, and it honestly it is a total contrivance now. Now it feels like a lazy plot mechanic because it's like oh what else are you gonna do except gas him? Yeah, and at yeah. this point it's getting dumb, especially when they call it out because it's like you couldn't. Do, I mean, just hit him. Well, on it is. It's also increasingly unbelievable that the the you know the genius Peter Parker can't put like a gas infiltration mask well he has filtration many times, mask. I, right, right but like, it's like usually webbing like i think in the final chapter he does it against doc ox guys you know where it's just webbing but it's like just build it into your mask dude <laughs> like yeah. it happens yeah. all the time um yeah the, these issues are, are pretty forgettable uh i don't want to talk about plot too much the vulture shows up no. in 44 and 45 um if you're interested <laughs> well, in reading no, see, those i thought that's funny because roger stern and maurice severin show up in 45 yeah and i thought like I actually, the first four issues we read, I thought were all pretty good. Like, not that memorable, but at least, like, they read fine. And then this one, I was like, oh, we're back in the 60s. Like, this felt so regressive. Yeah. Like, the Vulture's got style, a funny, uh, he's got a funny nephew. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, who gets killed um, here. That's he's also got a rival, uh, African-American, like, mobster who he calls, refers to as Black Alfred. You can lose the black, Vulture. It's, uh, it's Yeah, that's, that's a real go, go ahead and just call him Alfred. problem is that, like... If there's a black character who has like some kind of superhero or villain name, it's always black whatever, you know, it's that stinks. Yeah, I um, guess it's not that different than like Black Goliath and Black Panther, but when it's Black Alfred, it's Black Panther is like, probably okay. His name, man. But black Goliath is just like, I mean, that doesn't need to be the thing that defines him. It's, there's not a there's not a separate uh, White Panther, I guess. So whatever. That's yeah. neither. Well, here and nor Black there. Panther is a thing anyway. Um so that's Spidey. This Let's has, move on. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. There's one thing about 45 that is incredible that I, I do love, incredible. which is the resolution to the Vulture battle, is that Vulture just flies into a pane of glass because he doesn't see it. That's And he crumples good. to the ground. That's that great. is That is great. It's like the, the kind of like natural extension natural extension of that 60s thing where like heroes and villains hew too closely to their animal names yeah right you know like I, right god i thought that was so funny like you ever have a bird I do really... that to a window that that like outside your house or apartment or something at work yeah you had it happen at work yeah yeah there did you a... see it hit like... it it's kind of no, terrifying. no like, a f- yeah i'm sure it is a, f- a yeah. few months ago there was just dead bird like sitting outside a big a wall of glass uh, oh i'd gum. assume poison if i saw that i oh, thought he was yeah, assassinated yeah, I doubt it was the class. <laughs> but I anyway. really want like more more Spidey fo- more Spidey villains foiled by like their their kind of namesake weaknesses, like taking it too literally. Yeah, like uh, I don't know, like you, the Scorpion just gets knocked onto his back and he just can't like right himself. You know, actually, what just occurred to me? So my son likes to watch uh, Planet Earth videos, and yeah. one of them is uh, there's like a honey badger scene, and one of the things that honey badger apparently eats is a scorpion. It's kind of a fascinating scene. The and there's a there's a new honey badger in the Marvel universe. I won't say who. I need that honey badger versus scorpion you you battle now. You mean you won't say who? Is it like a legacy character? Um, no, it's it's a character that's around for a minute, and then they become honey badger. So like, if I said they're going to become honey badger, <laughs> you would okay. already know. That that's their that's, destiny. That's ridiculous. Right? Okay. So uh, anyway, I want to see them versus Scorpion. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Speaking of, no next comics on the I list. Had a whole list of funny animal villain things. You made a list. Time. All right, all right. Hit us, David Letterman. Your top ten of funny animal <laughs> villains. Let's go. Yeah, that's, it's a new segment. That's a totally uh, a topical reference. Zach no, does. I, I didn't David really Letterman. have any more. I just wanted to riff. I just wanted to. I wanted to play in this play space with you, Dave. Well, why are you whining about it? Play. Well, you're because you're you're not going to get your way if you fuss. That's what I tell my <laughs> tell my kid all day. So go ahead. I don't know. Um, black cat gets bit by a dog. 
God, uh, the energy you're oh, bringing, oh, baby. Uh, oh, Rhino. Uh, Rhino gets shot by Donald Trump Jr. Oh, too topical. Too topical, <laughs> David. Uh, no, I didn't really have any good one. Um, all right, yeah, let's move on to Captain America. 241 and 250. Captain America 241. Uh, You know, I almost took this one off. Uh, Really, you only need 250. But this one's kind of interesting, and it does have some relevance. It's Captain America meets the Punisher. And the thing I like about Captain America meets the Punisher stories is the Punisher respects the heck out of Captain America. They are both veterans. um, And Punisher, like, he kind of worships him in some ways. This will get played with in a lot of different ways throughout Marvel history. But right now in this Mike W. Barr, Frank Springer, Pablo Marco story, uh, they're kind of meeting for the first time. And Punisher's like, he's like, I'm going to respect you, Cap, and I'm going to listen to you, but also I want to kill I these I will mobsters. shoot you if you don't get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and I still will shoot you with rubber bullets, same as I would Spider-Man. So... Yeah, the, this is, it's starting to get into, you know, the like kind of interesting Punisher stuff of like an expression of like frustration towards i don't know like criminality and like he is i don't think they're they're veering too closely into like what's the word like making him a hero or making him admirable right like he's still definitely on the other side of things like maybe his heart's in the right place but like the message is still pretty clearly like you doing this is a sign that the system is broken and that you know, like that the the system that we the system doesn't deserve our faith, right? Like, and I think it's going to be a little bit before Marvel Comics starts saying like, "Hell yeah!" Like, Punisher's awesome, right? Yeah, I think what he's doing, you still—that's a good point. You, st- I don't get the feeling in these early appearances like that we're supposed to feel real good about what he's doing, you know, in the way mm-hmm. that maybe the, it begins to transition. Certainly, in a sense of like, yeah, like you just said, heck yeah. Also, that guy had it coming. And Punisher Which, was right because that was the only way to get him off the streets. We're actually not really getting that right now because the mobsters and like villains in this are still just sort of like milk toast henchmen, you yeah, know, from sure. like from Bronze Age comics. Um, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah Cap, Cap would be fine hitting them all with a shield and knocking them unconscious oh, Captain- and certainly not incapacitating them. Captain America says something really weird about um, like I've handled a gun plenty in my career but i never killed when i didn't have to and it's like i actually like that were... line a lot because it it acknowledges that he would use a gun he's been in world war ii exactly um, that that felt a little a, like phony to me though just because well it's like, i don't know that's a, there's a modernization and an assumption that like well he must have killed in uh in the war and i i always like the idealism realistic or not that he that captain america would be skilled enough not to it's the same thing with that. Batman. He just like cut a swath through Nazi Germany, you know, incapacitating platoons of Nazis for half hour at a time, like leaving them unconscious in his wake, you know. And then... Well, and I guess the other thing there is like the idea then I'm saying, well, should he not have killed Nazis? Because I don't agree with that in World War II. You know what I mean? So there is a, there's also the flip side of that coin. Um, like basically like, was it right to do? Is killing Is killing ever right, Zach? You tell me. Yeah, totally. Do it. Like in war exception. So, yes, I, I think you're right. But no, I just it, mean... here they're saying, you know, this version of Captain America in 1980 is one that has not killed or at least not unless he had a, uh, if he had an option, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's not leaning. I, I'm still fine with it. We talked a little about this in um, our My Ultimate Year first episode with the Punisher because it's not doing that thing of like. Um, I, the, the, the two ways that I like Punisher is either seriously talking about what he's doing 
as like you know th- this kind of destructive force right that he is like destroying himself and also doing more harm ultimately than good mm-hmm. right like d- talking about breaking down of uh, you know the ideals and justice system etc or you're just going really campy and silly and not worrying about any of that like garthinus's first run on it yeah. which i'm totally fine with because like it's just big john wick goofy violence right and that's fine too i'm kind of okay with that it's that like middle ground where you're like you know this is a real you know he's doing the right thing and it's also this like trying to be gritty and violent and kind of like trying to make some point some really dumb fascist point honestly of you know like no but punisher what about his rights and it's like you know he didn't care about the rights of that family he killed like that kind of you know, trying to make some point about, you know, rights are for sissies. And, like, anyone who cares about, you know, I don't know, human rights is uh, is being a naive baby, right? Something like that. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, this isn't that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At all. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going down early. a Punisher wormhole here. Yes, definitely. Well, and through the lens of a lot of different things, frankly, because the, the character's colored beyond his comics appearances um yeah sure by right. media yeah. and and by conversation at this point for sure at this point though he's pretty straightforward and he respects cap yeah <laughs> and that's yeah, really yeah. all you need to know yeah i do the I more do interesting like that, issue that, that, is definitely that he, like that he's not like opposed to superheroes like he kind of is like yeah just don't get in my way like we'll work together yeah well and he has actually i think the version of him that is going to be the most interesting coming forward is his interactions with daredevil in uh, the frank miller written run which are not going to be dissimilar from that idea but it's going to be fleshed out significantly more um and it's something that like daredevil netflix fans would be familiar with from some of the better episodes of that series uh the second episode or the second season so captain america number 250 is the next issue we read and this one is important you know why Captain America runs for president. It's kind of a fascinating issue. Written by Roger Stern. You got yeah. art here by John Byrne. And uh, it's it's an important one. It's a milestone issue, 250. And it's one of those milestone issues that actually kind of sticks as a, hey, this is an iconic Captain America run because it really sincerely addresses the idea of what if Cap ran for president? What would that look like? What would the decision like how would that weigh on the mind of Steve Rogers and it takes these questions very seriously but in a way that is like extremely earnest and hopeful and and talks about I guess the core of why Captain America resonates and why this character matters in a lot of ways um that isn't it's not it's a political comic certainly but it's not like about picking a side it's really more it doesn't about get really Captain America. yeah particular it's, it's kind of i mean his message is just his message or the platform that he kind of gets shoved into is just one of populism right and so it's mostly the the, the closest thing to real politics it gets is uh just people's exhaustion with business as usual that kind of thing you know people tired of politics and politicians and lack of meaningful choice and you know democratic system yeah the feeling it echoes i think most sincerely that resonates today is like i've heard from a number of people trying to you know trying to toe the middle and basically say like it doesn't matter who you pick you're wrong either way right and that's sort of the idea that gets tossed out here as a a way of avoiding being like one side or the other is better and saying well because it doesn't matter let's just have somebody we all like captain america (laughs) <laughs> you know who mm-hmm. you know as they talk about it it there is definitely that part of me that's like man it, wouldn't it be cool to have a figure 
like a cap who everyone could get behind because where it's just like yeah i just sincerely trust this person like just and having just large swaths of people feel that way like there's an idealism and a hopefulness to that that is obviously unparalleled in reality but reading this story Uh, i'm definitely smitten with the idea we got a candidate from new york right now who uh another another new yorker just like captain america yeah just like talking about michael bloomberg you're the biggest Bloomberger I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Bloomberg boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bloomberger with yeah, cheese, yeah. I'm just, please. I'm just saying. It's Hold the, the onions. The, there's not that much uh, daylight between Michael Bloomberg and Captain America. Well, many people have said that um, mm. on this podcast That's a, common refrain. a few minutes yeah. ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Captain America also is in this new phase of the comic that I really like that is going to just continue to grow, which is that he has a civilian life now. Yeah. And he has a personal life, and it extends past, I think, Captain America for a really long time has mostly just been, like, his civilian life has been him worrying about how he could ever have a civilian life, right? Mm -hmm. It's that, like, man out of time You know, like, oh, I'll never fit in nowadays because I don't understand, you know, TV antennae. Like, I don't... Which someone brings up as a reason he wouldn't be a good president. They're like, oh, but will a 1940s ethos work for today's modern problems? Vision is the one who's like, you know, 40s solutions don't work with modern problems. I don't say this often, but Vision, shut it down. Take a nap, (laughs) you dork. (laughs) No, I appreciate that. I liked that people were, like, there was a bunch of people who also just didn't like, especially people who know him. And just were like, oh, we like you, but, you know, it's a bad idea. I, I, I kind of appreciate it. I like the Avengers the debating talk. it. You had Iron Man and Wasp and Vision yeah. all, all debating sides. But, yes, I, I do agree. Yeah, so n- now he is not in this kind of, like, he is just fully, he has a Steve <sighs> Rogers personal identity. He has a bunch of, like, he's got this really interesting thing where he kind of becomes, like, I don't know what neighborhood he's in. It feels like a Greenwich Village thing where he's just got this, like, very diverse group of friends of, uh, like, artists and hippies. It's, like, this very bohemian scene. Well, and he's Um, a freelance artist, let us not forget, which is, like, a fascinating... (laughs) One of the absolute best little details about Captain America that most people don't know, which I like that they wink at in um, Captain America the First Avenger. Like, at some point, you see him sitting there sketching yeah yeah oh uh, yeah god that's it's a really fun thing and it turns into like a workplace thing like they're they're kind of doing the spider-man thing where he's juggling like his personal life and his captain america life except that like it feels distinct enough it doesn't feel like they're just doing spider-man because captain america also is beloved right like he puts on his suit and then he walks into a bank right and people are like standing there in awe of him instead of being frightened of him or you know yelling at him out a window like jjj Right, and we've talked um, about the goofiness of of certain heroes trying to maintain secret identities, you know, at this point in time. And definitely Captain America, I think, is one probably up there with, like, Tony Stark and, and I guess, Thor. You know what? Obviously, this, those three this, where it's like, why are they bothering? But now it no, starts to era. feel like it has a, a, a relevance. Now it yes, starts to feel yes, like, yes. yeah, I actually like civilian Steve Rogers, not known as Cap, because he's got this life an apartment and cast of characters um, that are like kind of interesting. They are really interesting and they all get fleshed out. Like there's, yeah. um, I, I think it's when, oh man, in 1984, Matthias, Matthias um, takes over. That's when I really, really start. To oh, like, J.M. Dematius? Dematius. Dematius. I mean, yes. don't, don't take my pr- pronunciation as gospel. Lord knows. Yeah. We've, pr- probably I would say our accuracy percentage on names gotta be like 45 45 you think we're as high as 45 
Yeah, I'd say so. You know, did you know? You know, I actually just found this out. It's Stan Lai. It's pronounced <laughs> Stan Lai. We've been getting that and wrong Jacques, too. Jock Kirby. Jacques Kirby. Yeah, we've been getting a lot wrong. Uh, but anyway, you were saying about Speak- Cap. Oh, it's, I was going to say, speaking of Jacques Courbet, uh, you did make me read 251 just because it's a Batrock issue. Um, uh, did you which, keep going? Did you want to keep going? Yeah, no, I read 251. Yeah, right. yeah, it was fun. I mean, it, it, it's fine. It's kind of dull besides Batrock. Uh, Batrock is the fun part. Who I still keep, I honestly keep forgetting that he's called Batrock the Leaper and not Batrock, Batrock the Kip. Oh my God. And not Batrock the Kicker, which is what I call him all the time. Like, yeah, it, it, the Leaper's I, it, better. <laughs> oh, I like Bat Rock. I, the you know that. I think that's pretty funny too. It's, it's um, anyways, sure. Captain America's great. Bernie Rosenthal is his girlfriend. You know, like a nice, nice Jewish girl from the city. Is, yeah, uh, his girlfriend at the time. Yeah, which is awesome. I do like Bernie. I do like her as a a love interest. I think she's. I don't know. Like yep. she's so she's so disconnected from all that sort of mildly insane. Sharon Carter, Peggy Carter, also Shield agent yep. business. You know, it's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah just let let Cap have a. She's nice the focus the of scene. one of my favorite Captain America issues. Pretty soon, there's a there's a few Captain America issues I might curate into this list in '84. I hate to tell you, Dave. Um, this, this is, is so ultimatum. cute when you when you think you have power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's a Captain America. There's like two or three issues in '84, I think, that I absolutely adore. That I'm gonna okay. talk to you about adding in, um, including one that is a weird little what if, where like Bernie Rosenthal gets to be the the Captain America. Ooh. Uh, with like, if I'm remembering correctly, like a, a handsome Modoc, something like that. Love me like some handsome Modoc. Something like that. Anyway. Bernie Rosenthal gets more like gets Brodock, the am I right? Yes, exactly. Um, anything else with Captain America? Yeah, it's good. It's just like so. I, I got to be honest. That's a weird takeaway from uh from the Cap runs for president issue. Is how much? You oh like yeah, no, we kind of got distracted off that. No, th- this is good. The thing is, like, you're right that it stays away from specific politics, and I think that does keep it from. It is like a fun Captain America issue where you see him grappling with something, but it also doesn't feel like it's planting its flag anywhere except in. We got to have hope, you know, like, which is fine. That's a, you know, it's a good message and it sells it pretty well. So what do you think about Cap's decision? So in the end here, you know, he's, everyone's getting excited about his run. It gets leaked to the press and people are like super jazzed. And honestly, like, it's looking like, yeah, he could win. And it kind of, you know, like you're reading it and you kind of have that feel of like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. What if Cap was president? Now there's two directions the Marvel Universe can go. They can pursue this and actually try to make Captain America president of their universe, or they can do what they did and have Cap think about his civics class in high school come to the revelation that, like, the way to pursue the American dream is to not get caught up, essentially, in the red tape of politics. That, like, he is true to the dream, not the literal government, which is something we've talked about a lot, actually, Mm, as something we like about the character. You know, this idea of—and I think it helps him be a little more unanimously beloved, where it's like, he's not Democrat Cap— He's not Republican Cap. He's Captain America of the American Dream. And obviously that is nebulous and can mean a lot of things to different people. I like the idea that Stern and Burner are going for here. What? How did you think it played out? Yeah, I really like that. And I like that over the next decade, there's also going to be a lot of really, really delineating or really, really underlining that Captain America is about like, you know, a, that being a patriot is not being pro-government <laughs> right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. He, you know I, there's specifically an issue that i think it might be the one i want to talk to you about adding where you know he talks about someone who was a conscientious objector during vietnam yeah. and someone calls him a coward and captain america defends him and is like you know that takes more heroism and patriotism 
than, you know, a lot of people would have. And, you know, that just like falling in line with the government is not what America's about, right? Um, well, and famously, I mean, we could even look at the MCU Civil War and yeah, say, of course, you know, right? he does yeah. the same thing there, right? He doesn't yeah. just say, yeah. yeah, I'll register, of course, I'm Captain America, right? Which I think is, is an important distinction that a lot of creators have made in terms of, okay, what does he actually represent? What does Steve Rogers actually believe? Um, and, and I think all that idea, it doesn't begin here, but it certainly I mean, I is, can tell you one enforced. thing. That A doesn't stand for France. <laughs> well, that's so <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for the My Ultimate Year Club, but let's just say Ultimate Captain America would approach Captain America 250 very differently. Which I like. I actually, I'm, I kind of yeah. dig that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, actually, speaking of My Ultimate Year, uh, let's uh, let's talk about the Patreon for just a moment. Our over on Patreon.com, we have, you can come and support us and we have a handful of pretty cool benefits, I would say. And most recently, and probably most excitingly to me, is the My Ultimate Yo, My Ultimate Yo, My, my Ultimate, Ultimate Yo Show. My hey, did you know? Ugh. Did you know if you do two eggs? All right, you do two eggs, mm-hmm. and then your third egg, you just put the yolk in, right? So my ultimate yolk is just two eggs, normal. Then you do the yolk for the third, very mm-hmm. creamy egg dish. You don't have to add like milk or butter or anything. It cooks nicely. Have you ever tried this? I have not. What do you do with the third egg white? You just dump it. You waste it. So that that can be kind of like, ooh, I don't know. I mean, I'm if you cook your egg, yolk. scrambled eggs right, you don't need milk or butter. Maybe a little that, butter. Yeah, if you add a third yolk, you're golden. I mean, adding adding milk to your egg, your scrambled eggs, that's like, that's amateur hour. I'm sorry. Amateur hour. Ooh, everybody adding milk, you've been called out. Hope you're not yep. a supporter. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, so speaking of which, or uh, our Patreon, um, by supporting us on Patreon, you will help me buy more eggs this month. Yeah. I do yeah. eat lots of eggs, and uh, yeah. So this is a this is a entirely listener supported um, endeavor. Zach yes. and I, yep. uh, the only funds that we have going in to support my marvelous year are through patreon.com slash my marvelous year. You can go on over there, see uh, everybody supporting and all the benefits that you can potentially achieve. My favorites include, like Zach mentioned, if we get back up to our, our monthly goal of $500 a month, we will continue doing the, my ultimate year specials, um, which are released six months early for Patreon subscribers. Now I will note here, we have fallen below that goal, Zach. So there will not be a My Ultimate Year special in January 2020 unless, oh, it are, it already unless we out. crack that goal. I already I already put it out. What do you, you have to discuss these things with it. No, no, no. We will not be recording a new one. Oh, oh, oh. We, already, oh. we will release the ones that have already been funded, but we will not be recording a new one uh, until we... So, you know, if you're interested in that, you can help us get there. That would be super fun for us, and we would appreciate it greatly. And I have to say, uh, a favorite of mine and a favorite of, it seems, the club is for $5 a month supporting the show, you can get access to the exclusive My Marvelous Year Slack channel. You can engage directly with the club. You can engage directly with Zach. And uh, if you're lucky, you can engage directly with me as well. <laughs> the the rare Dave sighting in the Slack. Yeah. Uh, any I other mean, I think it does, Patreon it, benefits you want to want huck? Yeah, I mean, you get access to the weekly update. Um, you know, occasionally, usually when like... Uh, a new Marvel Ooh, movie and the comes Master out. List. We'll do a little bonus. Oh yeah, yeah. You get access to the spreadsheet, which is like the entire, um, the entire My Marvelous Year reading list. Mm-hmm. And we do some bonus episodes once in a while. Our Q and As. We do like quarterly ish. What, what's what's the word for like one third? Uh, triannual instead of one quarter. Yeah, triannual. 
uh, Q&As at this point. We try to make them quarterly, but I think we're a little late. Um, yeah, our Q&As, I'll put those up. I put those on the Patreon feed. So there, there's lots of little things, but mostly it is the Slack in the weekly update and the spreadsheet. Yeah, uh, and, and if you uh, the... if you don't want to support via Patreon, no worries. Continue listening and tell a friend. And if you can leave a review on iTunes, that would be awesome as well. Yes, please. Thanks, everybody. Hey, and now back to back your regularly it. scheduled Marvel comic. Iron right. Man 131. Let's take a three-minute break. Three minutes. Three. You're really confident with how long it takes you to pee. I, I timed it. I know exactly how long, and I know exactly how much water I just drank. Okay. You ready? Go. Set. Go. Pee. <clears throat> 30 seconds to spare. Woo! All right. We are now entering the green zone. All Hulk, all the time, starting with Iron Man <laughs> oh, <yeah>. 131. <laughs> to 133. Zach, what did you think of Iron Man 131 to 133? Good. Good comic. They are pretty good. Um, and so this right, is coming so off the Savage heels She-Hulk of Demon in the Bottle. Hulk. Oh, we're done? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, all, I missed the memo. Uh, you know what I really like about 131 to 133 is it starts out, hmm. and this is by uh, David Michelini writing, you got Bob Layton co-plotting and inking, um, Jerry Bingham pencils. And what I really like is it starts out as a Hulk fight, and it's kind of goofy. You got Hulk in the middle of the road. He's acting very childlike to the point of even like playing he, with just, a toy with a kid. No, no, he's he's uh, I which I like, but he's just sitting in the middle of the road with an overturned fruit truck eating fruit. <laughs> yeah, that's fun like, too. Hulk hungry. Yeah, yeah but it, it feels <laughs> no, like, like okay, this is a Hulk battle we've seen eight million times before, and then it becomes something else. Then it becomes Iron Man trying to help Bruce Banner, aka Bob Banner, aka Robert Banner. Uh, cure his Hulkness. And that's where the comic gets really interesting, is I don't think yeah. we've actually... Obviously, this is something we've seen Banner struggle with, um, but there's sort of a sense of, like, uh, of... of What's the what's the word? Fatalism? Where it's just like, well, guess I'm just going to be Hulk. And finally, here we see, like, no, like, if you put two geniuses in the room together, could we cure this? And yeah. it feels yeah, like yeah. they come pretty close. They come up with this... Um, what is it? Like, an emotional inhibitor? basically, so that Banner it's, it's like a can't rage out. A nuclear pacemaker in his heart. Yeah. That keeps yeah. His, his pulse down, yeah. And I think it's actually a really fun idea. It's nice to see, like, the duo's um, compatible genius work together. And yep. uh, obviously, long-term, it does not work. Ultimately, we get the incredible Banner, which is an amazing shot, when uh, Bruce yeah. Yeah, that's rages fun. out. And he doesn't turn Hulk because the device is sort of working, but now he's the Hulk's mind in Bruce Banner's. Let's face it, quite fit physique. Yeah, and this is a this is something I don't know. This might be a part of Hulk, but we don't read that much Hulk, so I haven't seen it before. But they are really showing that the Hulk is his own persona, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Hulk is very much the Hulk. Bruce Banner is very much Bruce Banner. They are not. It's not like a different version of him. It's not angry. Bruce Banner is the Hulk. It is like these are different people sharing a body. Yes. Um, and they illustrate that here, like that the Hulk can even come out, even if the Hulk's body doesn't come out, like the Hulk's mind can still take over, mm-hmm. which is very fun. Um, yeah, these are it's doing the same thing with Captain America, where it's just like, oh, let's ground the characters in like more relatable dramas, right? Like, let's give them conflicts and anxieties that don't feel like they feel a lot smaller in that means that they feel a lot more relatable and believable, right? Yeah. Um like, oh, <laughs> I wrote here, there's a letter that wrote, writes in, like, praising David Michelini's Iron Man, which I am reading all of this now. Like, I've read a ton of Iron Man outside yeah. of uh, 
outside of these because I'm really enjoying this series. The letter writes and says, uh, quote, hopefully gone forever are the days of the every issue heart attack or the last <laughs> ounce of reserved power. Um which is totally true, right? Like that kind of like, I mean, I, I can't relate to Tony Stark just constantly worrying about his heart going uh, like, ah, I got holes in my heart. I'll never find a girlfriend. Like, and that being the, the main thrust of his drama, right? Right. Now it's stuff like drinking. Now it's stuff like, oh, I have to worry about my, you know, public persona and that, you know, maybe what I'm doing I chose as a career path is harming society in the world mm-hmm. uh maybe it's i just want to help bruce banner and i can't you know like right i mean the secret identity thing still gets in the way but it's still it's it's much more it's much smaller and it's much more like grounded in tony stark's identity oh there was also a letter about a woman who was like can we just do away with tony St- or can we do away with iron man and just have this be about tony stark i think i have a big crush which i really like the uh fair, fair. the first time i've seen true it. yeah yeah no i like that it's this issue's it begins more about Tony trying to use his his intelligence to help out Bruce Banner, and then ultimately does devolve into the Iron Man Hulk fight you expected, um, which gets a little goofy, but it's also like it is built to a point where it's kind of earned it, which is Iron Man using every last ounce of his oh, suit's boy, power yeah, it is to that, land a punch on the Hulk, and he punches him so hard that, well, one, he actually depowers the Hulk with this punch, which clearly the Hulk is going to progress into a a beast that um, Iron Man could not do this to. But then two, he is like comatose, locked in his armor. It's so everything shut down. Which leads to a fun 133, which is an Ant-Man inside Tony's armor issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott Lang, we should say. That's a very fun, like, very specific thing we haven't seen before. Uh, Well, I guess actually we see it with Vision, Vision. right? Which is probably our favorite um, Kree-Scroll War issue. But yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. it's it's fun that. here again as well. Plus, you know that was Hank. This is Scott. It is different, uh, yep. and it's you know it's a a quality couple issues. So I think, I, like you said, Iron Man. You know, if you're digging these, if you dug Demon in the Bottle, like we're in a good period of Iron Man. It's not great to me. Like this isn't Frank Miller and Daredevil, Claremont Byrne X Men. No, where I'm like, no, if you don't read everything, you are missing essential Marvel comics. But if you like Iron Man, you should be you should be reading this run. It's good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of like villain of the week stuff happening. There's like I don't know. He 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 does a lot of globe trotting and ends up fighting these like one off villains all over the world. But um, generally like they're writing fun little short stories with them. Oh, I forgot I forgot to mention this. I think are you done with Iron Man? I am. Okay, I forgot to mention this. Uh, in the letters page for Captain America after the president issue, there was it was either from Roger Stern or Jim Shooter. I can't remember who. But they were like, we've been batting this idea around for a while to like have Captain America run for president. And uh, ultimately, like we talked about, well, it would be too depressing if he just loses. So why don't we just have him win? And we'll just have to do four years of stories with Captain America in Washington, D.C. And then they decided against that because they didn't want to shake things up that much, Uh Uh, which is, I'm going to say, kind of unfortunate. I think four years of Captain America being president would have been pretty fun. Like, doesn't that doesn't that sound just awesome always? It like, does. I don't, I, you know, there's what, never like, a point where I'm like, "That's not exciting to me." Yeah, I don't. I don't regret that not happening because, like, the next few years of Captain America are going to get really interesting and like start doing really fun stuff that I, I really love. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that 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 feels are there, really fun too. Who are the characters in the Marvel universe that if they were if there was a they became president story this decade, you'd be into it? Because the the players that get tossed around at that level in the Marvel universe are Cap, Tony, obviously yeah. Tony Stark. Actually, he's going to become Secretary of Defense at one point. Um, oh my god! 
let's see who else even could play reed richards would make sense i mean it's kind of got to be people who are like either out or like public figures in their secret identity you know Um, professor x i'd be into oh yeah oh that's actually that's the right answer i think that would be the most interesting you know that would be like you could do the most with that all right Um, mmy club i want to hear for our next variant cover who in the marvel universe we could do this as a poll even actually um do we have a 2020 poll or a um a 1980 poll no we don't all right our poll what marvel universe hero or villain we could do villains uh no we can't that's absurd absurd a villain will never become president (laughs) 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 um what hero would you like to see become president of the marvel universe new poll i'm gonna throw uh bruce banner in there oh i think that's yeah i don't know i you know actually Actually, yeah, I mean, a maybe, Hulk maybe banner. you just maybe I'm you intrigued. just want someone in there who's just gonna mix things up, you know? Well, who's you want to gonna... talk? You want to talk about a Green New Deal, Zach? But I'm, <laughs> gosh, I crushed that. Yeah, that was All good. Right. Um, Where were we? I'm trying to think of anyone else. <laughs> the Vision, maybe. I mean, uh, don't hate it. Don't hate it. I mean, can we get? Wasp can we get? Particularly... How about Susan Storm? Can we get a, a woman nominee here? I know. I was thinking Seems that. Like I was gotta. just like, who? I mean, Susan Storm and Wasp don't really have that big of a role yet. Um, T'Challa is not an American citizen, so he's out. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to. I just don't know who, like, kind of fits that bill. Thundra? Thundra's probably not an American citizen either, actually. (laughs) Yeah, no, good. Thundra. Well, speaking of of female characters in the Marvel Universe and a dire need to expand the roster, Savage She-Hulk debuts this year, issue number one, written by, he's back, Stanley the Manly. Surprising the manly has returned and he's taking pot shots at himself in the very opening paragraph saying Bob Banner, Robert Banner, uh, Bruce Banner, whatever you want to call him. Of course, alluding to his own famous inability to uh, to remember what Bruce Banner's name was in the original uh, Incredible Hulk. The She-Hulk Lives is the story of Bruce Banner's cousin, Jennifer Walters, and her origin and debut as the savage She-Hulk. I like She-Hulk as a character an awful lot. Her yeah. early, her earliest appearances are definitely not the best appearances here. We've got art by John Buscema, so co-creation there. Um, inks by Chick Stone. What did you think of the first origin issue of She-Hulk? Because I guess I'll, I'll just to say, I love yeah. the debut. I love that she's here. Uh, the origin is just like okay, there's an origin. Yep, it's a uh, it's definitely Stanley, right? Like that is it feels top to bottom a Stanley story, where yeah. it's just like. I mean, it, it, it's very funny. It, it even feels like this kind of like early 60s, like it's full of just stuff that doesn't even make sense. Like, I mean, Jennifer Walters is not a good character here. She's kind of an idiot. Like she's a lawyer who's like prosecuting some mob boss or something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I put out information saying I have I have like an inside witness that will put him away from murder. Right. And then Bruce Banner's like, isn't that dangerous? And she's like, that stuff's only in the movies. My middle name is danger. Sh- immediately gets shot in the spine like <laughs> literally Instantly. 10 seconds later someone comes and like shoots her in the back yeah um and that's like we don't get any more character than that she kind of just comes across as like a dum-dum who doesn't understand how to do her own job yeah like we um, get we get details like she's a lawyer but and i guess probably what stan is going for there is bravery right she's like she's trying to weed out the mobsters herself um even though that obviously but it, puts her but it in reads danger. naive naivete Yes, I think it does. Yeah. Uh, then, that is uh, that is definitely the best thing about She-Hulk here is lawyer by day, She-Hulk by night. You know yes, that, that idea. Is, that's a fun thing that that 
they'll do stuff with later, but it doesn't really. Well, not even that here. much later. By issue two, that's what that's what the series is clearly going to be. Yeah. The the other thing is this guy shoots Jennifer Walter in the back, and Bruce Banner is there, who mm-hmm. does somehow doesn't transform into the Hulk throughout all this, but he does pick up an ordinary garden hose and say, "This is what the police use to take to like control rioters," and he starts just spraying a, a hitman with a garden hose. Yeah. And it's like pushing him back, uh, and then you ever, have you ever he, been hit with a garden hose? Yeah, and I get, you know, like, rolled like a, a boulder backwards. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It just sends you down the street, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, like, weird analogy. Like, weird thing to be like, ah, just like the police spraying rioters. You know, that thing that we all, we're all rooting for right now in 1980. Well, it doesn't mean you're rooting for it so much as you've seen it. Yeah. Where else do you the, see people uh, attacked with hoses? Water park. Not a bad idea for a water park attraction. Is hose back? Could have said when rioters push the police back with hoses. Ooh, that's right. Stick it to the man. This is, this is exactly. This is nothing. Um. So Bob Banner rushes Jennifer Walters into. He sees a doctor, like a a, uh, a doctor's house across the street that's empty. He bursts in because she needs a blood transfusion. He quickly gives her a blood transfusion of his own blood, which is like. By himself. Yeah, first, I, I mean, you I know, guess... I remember this story taking place in a hospital and him just being around. But no, he just straight up <laughs> sets up a blood transfusion for a dying cousin and then administers it himself. Yep. And then just vanishes because, like, the police show up. Yeah, I don't have much else to say. Like, this is... uh The, the weird thing is, like... I was thinking about this. It's kind of a very old-fashioned origin in that it feels like it has nothing to do with the character. It's just like, what if the Hulk, but somebody else, right? Like, there's well, and I think that's the biggest, obviously, the biggest shadow. Like, I mean, it's intentional on one hand, but it's also kind of a thing that Marvel's going to do with with female characters, where it's like the kind of trying to measure up to a legacy of a male counterpart. You know what I mean? So she is yeah. she is she yeah, Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the naming right, is obviously yeah. not fantastic. It is not giving her her own thing. Now Jen Walters will become her own character with a clear a clear like difference from Bob Banner. Yes, uh, which yes, I yes, appreciate. Yes. But you know, this is why there was a big stink a number of years ago. Now I believe it was David Goyer comics writer, screenwriter on a number of things, um, said something to the effect of like, you know, She-Hulk was just created as like, you know, like uh, like masturbation material for like teenage boys. And people got really, really mad oh, at Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But I remember him saying this. And I think there's like, there is a perspective or a, and a, I don't know, like kind of a an assumption that like, yeah, it was just created as like the sexy Hulk is like the only reason this character exists, you know, which I don't which is, agree with. Which I don't think that's what they were thinking. Which is kind of a funny idea of just like, all right, we gotta. We want a sexy comic that's just gonna like, you know, appeal to teenage boys' horniness. Let's do a, like a seven foot tall green woman. That'll do it. Yeah. Like what? It's why a little not? niche. It's a, it's a little. Yeah. It's a little targeted. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like it's a sexualized first issue. Definitely. I mean, like when she turns into uh, Hulk uh, for the first time, she's busting out of a like a white nightgown, basically. A bit. I don't know. I I didn't I didn't read that as like. Oh, I think a bunch. Oof. Uh, more than okay. more than we typically see in a lot of the, these comics. the late '80s series is going to play with that a lot in a very like playful way, right? Like there's lots of like funny little meta winks to uh, you know like her in a bikini on the cover, but her you know like oh John John the... Byrne takes it and runs with it. Like John Byrne right, gets yeah. it into like softcore territory. This isn't that, but it's it's I can see how you could come away with that idea. Yeah, yeah. No, that that feels like missing something that's like fun about she-hulk because she is a very fun different character 
I well, that, don't know how long that attitude to, to me like, is the attitude of someone who only read this issue and never pursued She-Hulk again. Yeah, sure. And I mean, right. this is a Stanley issue, right? Like he didn't he didn't continue writing this. Like no. I, I want to keep reading this series because I haven't read this series. I think I've read some of the John Byrne stuff, and then where she gets folded into like other teams later. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm curious where this goes from here. Yeah. Well, where it goes from here on the reading list is Incredible Hulk number two hundred and fifty, an actual Hulk comic starring the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's long. It's another milestone. It's your milestones. And this one has an interesting idea. I think it plays out. Uh, again, just like if you're going to hit me with 40 pages of a 1980s comic, it's got to be better than this. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> I like the idea. Which yeah, The idea yeah. here is the Silver Surfer wants to steal the Hulk's. So he wants to do two things. He wants to steal the Hulk's power in order to break through Galactus's barrier because he's still trapped here. I always forget he's still trapped since uh since uh, he's still trapped just hanging out with a bunch of penguins at the North Pole. Yeah, that, that was a kid. I, I love that that shot is very funny of just him standing there pouting on a on an iceberg while a bunch of penguins just stare up at him. Yeah, I did enjoy that. <laughs> and um, but he, he wants to break through and he also wants to cure the Hulk, which is uh, no, again, we've seen a lot of that. Continue to talk about today. this this opening scene is the best part of the whole comic. So this is what I want to focus on. Which okay. is that he breaks up a uh, an attack of a bunch of seal clubbers throughout oh there like yeah. and then some like animal rights activists come out and start like dyeing the seals fur so that their fur will be useless to the seal clubbers. And Silver Surfer breaks it up and, like, you know, kind of stops the violence. Yeah. And then, like, yells at them all about how, like, this happened because humans don't know how to, like, come together and compromise. <laughs> Which feels like kind of a wild position to take when one of those sides is someone who's coming out and clubbing baby seals on the head. Yeah, <laughs> it <like>. is. <laughs> right. It is the rare instance where, like, nah, Surfer, there's a clear good guys and bad guys here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could... You could probably defend the baby seals. And then, and then that cuts to a scene of just him slamming himself like a uh, like a moth against the light bulb, like over and over again against the barrier, and just being like, "I no matter how fruitless it is, I'll never continue to stop trying you know to what, escape." And just you know what it made me wish for was remember how Silver Surfer number eighteen, the only Stanley and Jack Kirby uh, collaborative issue on on his individual series, it ended with that panel of him just losing his mind and just like, yeah, I'm yeah, going to yeah, yeah. take this out on the... It made me think of that and it made me wish that that was where the Silver Surfer was still at because like every time he flies into that thing, yeah, it's like he's like the bird flying into a window where it's like he has lost his head again. I actually think that version of the Silver Surfer would be fascinating because he kind of morphs into that here when he absorbs the Hulk's gamma power and he turns into this Silver Rage monster. You know what's really funny is we read the Hulk in Iron Man we read the Hulk in Daredevil, mm-hmm. and then we read the Hulk in Incredible Hulk, and the Hulk is never m- like less interesting than in his own series. Like this is the absolute least and almost like... the most sidelined, oddly enough. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. R- weirdly, in Iron Man, he's like kind of a main character of that. He's like right up there with Iron Man. Yeah, uh, for screen time. Yeah, so th- there's not much to this beyond this. Obviously, Surfer... no, like he he. He enlists Bruce Banner to build a machine to feed him gamma radiation. He steals the gamma radiation. It makes him angry. He goes on a rampage. He finally escapes with Bruce Banner clinging to his surfboard. And then he gets a conscience and, like, sacrifices his freedom to save Bruce Banner, which is, like, Yeah, which we've seen fine, before. Whatever. I think it's Silver Surfer yeah, number two, uh, actually. Like, he breaks through the barrier, but then someone's in trouble, in this case, Bruce Banner. Um, so he flies back to save him and then is trapped again. So good on you, Norn Rad, for saving his life. Uh, bad on you, storytellers for telling the same story we've seen before this is bill mantlow and sal buscema for the record um the better version of the hulk i think my 
favorite version? No. Actually, probably that's an Iron Man, but close. Daredevil 163 to 165 we read. Daredevil 163 is a Matt Murdock tries to help the Hulk issue, and uh, it's pretty interesting. I like it. Yeah, I like the idea that, like, I think it's because Matt Murdock um, was Bruce Banner's lawyer or the Hulk's lawyer previously they mentioned, which I don't think we read that one. Um, They, like, know each other, so he talks down the Hulk and, like, talks him down into being Bruce Banner again and then, like, gives him a place to stay and sends him off with some, like, food and clothes and money. Well, he's kind of doing this thing that that I like in Daredevil comics where he's kind of, like, trying to use violence as a last resort, you know, which I feel like is this idea that gets played with in Daredevil a lot, honestly, which is, like, he's a lawyer. He has means and he knows how like criminality yeah, works and sure. like like dealing with you know like just legalities and whatnot it, he doesn't need to solve everything with his fists um so here he's like really trying to have a conversation with the hulk and not just like punch him out which all too often we see and i think that helps sell this issue as something different the other thing that helps sell it is frank miller and klaus jansen on yep. art this version of the hulk yep, yep, yep. he's about a foot taller than daredevil and Every facial expression he makes is fascinating and just makes him feel mm-hmm. like a real, like, lively character who is thinking and contemplating things and not just smashing. Um, the visuals in this are are why you read it, frankly. Uh, I love—this is my favorite version of the Hulk to look at, I would say. That period? It, no, this year, from this chunk. Oh, okay. <laughs> of all these Hulks. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. a, that's a bold statement. Like, I, I liked it, but— uh, I didn't My favorite version of the Hulk to look at, period, might be— Todd McFarlane version, Joe Fix It from later in the ah, Peter David days. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I only know about that character because of uh, I'm trying to catch up on Immortal Hulk and they talk about it a lot. I never. That's uh, that's definitely in the conversation. A little Joe Bennett action as well. There's a lot of good Hulks out there for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Daredevil, Frank Miller, Frank Miller with 164 starts co-plotting these, which I think is interesting. Yes. Um, it doesn't immediately, like, feel like this huge shift, but it does... Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, like, felt that necessarily, like there was a big change, but... Um, oh, that's funny, because is... I actually did. I, I thought by oh, yeah. 165, it started to feel to me like, oh, this is Frank Miller's Daredevil, um, hmm. instead of this, uh, the kind of prequel hybrid with Mackenzie scripting and, and plotting. Yeah. Yeah. So 164 is like a retelling of his origin through the, um, what's the word? Through the, uh, well, the framing know. device here is framing. Ben God, that's the, the, the <laughs> yes, reporter framing. for the Daily Bugle. He, um, he has uncovered that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. And Daredevil's still recovering from his wounds, from being beaten to a pulp by the Hulk. And he's, you know, laying in bed with, uh, Black Widow and Natasha Romanoff, their romantic partners at this point in time. And, uh, Ben Eric comes in and says, like, hey, Matt, we got to talk, right? And that that leads to an excuse to retell Daredevil's origin, effectively. Which only it, it is very very accurate to the original origin. Like it's mm-hmm. barely different. Um, but I remember thinking that the original origin, when we talked about it, was kind of overstuffed and rushed. Right. Um, That's a big first I, issue. <laughs> Daredevil number yeah, one. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a lot that goes on. This tells almost all of that. It just doesn't it does. get into his like post high school. It doesn't talk about him becoming a lawyer in starting a law firm but besides that it's all here like beat by beat but this just worked so much better for me and it kind of made me curious to like you know want to read them side by side and compare like what Mm. is happening here that uh doesn't work so well in the first one it's also interesting just that stan lee's original origin just like that they have such staying power right like they don't get tweaked that much we had this with spider-man um 
same thing. The Hulk's origin gets retold here a couple times, actually, throughout this year. We yeah. see little little bits of his origin. Just that those origins have, like, just become so canonized by people, and they really are not getting, like, changed and not getting tweaked, um, I think is very interesting. Yeah, for sure. No, it's not It's not about retconning it. It's really just about, like, sharing it a little bit. Um, the other yeah. thing that... The big thing that happens at the end of this is after telling recounting the origin, Matt tells Ben Urich, like, hey, if you publish this... Um, I'll have to stop being Daredevil. Like, I'll have to stop the good that I'm doing. And Ben Urich, a reporter with a conscience, says, the secret dies with me and jumps off a building. No, that's the wrong phrase. Uh, he <laughs> says, I'm not going to publish it. And he, he burns the he burns the paper. So right now, and this will be a thread to hang on to, Benny knows, but he's not doing anything about it. Which I love. Like, that's yeah. really interesting. It's better than, you know, like... Uh, I, I think I talked about um, in 79, there was an issue where JJJ had like photographic proof that Peter Parker was Spider-Man and Peter Parker just like talked him out of it basically yeah. and was like, oh no, it's photoshopped, whatever you misunderstood. You know, it doesn't do one of these <laughs> Which things. was a big reveal for this era that someone had developed not only personal Adobe computing, Photoshop. But Photoshop. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, the fact that Ben Urich didn't like get bonked on the head and forgets it and Daredevil steals the files or whatever that like there's a character out there who knows this, who's going to become folded into this universe and pretty quickly, too, because Ben Urich like has been around like four issues, maybe like he's not this has not been this like long thing of figure. Oh, he actually figures out who Daredevil is because Daredevil's ex-girlfriend Heather, I think I can't remember her last name. Heather Glenn who uh, is, <laughs> a, is a player throughout these issues, yeah. While uh, while he's while Daredevil is fighting the Hulk and Ben Yurik is standing there, like, reporting on it, Heather just continually yells, like, oh, Matt, no! But she, like, <laughs> she, like, like oh, kind of no, half, half stops herself, you know, here and there, yeah. where she's like, oh, Matt, uh, I mean, uh, Daredevil, right? Like, Oh, it's, she yes. just yells it once, and Ben Yurik is just like, ha-ha, confirmed. Got Perfect. it. That's, like, the nail, yeah. Yeah, and um, another detail I like about Ben here that I had forgotten is I kind of think of him being like the star reporter because he breaks stories like this or uncovers stories like this. They actually frame him in these early issues like he's been like a middling, kind of like, you know, just getting the job done guy, and this would be the biggest story of his career. So it actually, I think, even... It, it holds him up to a higher standard even where it's like he's not just getting rid of a story. He's getting rid of the story that would make his career. You know, yeah. it's a bigger deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do a... I really like the little... Um, the little sequence of him burning it, right? Like pulls out a lighter. You see him light his lighter, light up a cigarette, and then he takes it to the page. And it's just this like very slow, like it, it takes its time to show that that sequence and, you know, like underline the importance of it. You know who Ben Ben Yurk reminds me of is modern day Jim Gordon and kind of the relationship he has yeah, with Batman. Yeah, uh, it's totally. a very similar thing that he has with Daredevil, just like this mutual understanding, this kind of wink wink, I know who you are. Um, but also like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you, we're gonna work together, etc. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So um, that all once... sets up Daredevil one sixty five, which is written mm -hmm. again by Roger McKenzie and Frank Miller, with pencils by Frank Miller, inks by Klaus Jansen. And this is a Daredevil diverse Doctor Octopus story. We we start to get I think a lot more like villain crossover type stuff here. Um yeah. This story is not my favorite <laughs> of this run, nah. definitely, but nah, visually, the so there's far. some really good stuff. Yeah, I like the way he draws Doctor Octopus. Yes, um, I like I like the the kind of uh, you know, there's a double page spread of them fighting where the top half is all octopus arms flying at Daredevil, yeah, and the bottom yeah, half is like eight like vertical panels 
of of Daredevil doing backflips and fighting dark. It's wild layout structure. Mm-hmm. Like I've never yeah. I, I seriously cannot picture other pages like this that I've read. Um it's really cool. Like so there's some inventive stuff when they do battle, but otherwise it's kind of a Doc Ox really in his very he's like really in Silver Age supervillain mode, you know? Yeah. You know what I was thinking about? Uh, I was thinking this with um, the Vulture in Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah. But it goes you mean out White to Adrian? Doctor... Yeah. Wait, right. do I mean what? White Adrian. That's what I call him. <laughs> White Vulture. Yeah. Um, what? I- who is he? Why is the Vulture a villain? Why Adrian we... Toomes? Yeah. Like, what? what is what is there? Like, if you had to describe the Vulture as like, so what, uh, like, what is he as a villain? Yeah. I would be like, well, he's old and he flies. Okay. And that's it. That's, he had his he that's, had his that's patent stolen from him, so he's out. He's kind of on revenge, is why he turned to crime to begin with. Yeah, but at this point, like seventeen years out, what is what is there to like the core of that character that makes me go like? Oh, well, he I'm loves his nephew. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's gone too. So yeah. like, yeah, love. yeah. I mean, Doctor Octopus has a little bit more personality, so that makes up for it. But you know, like, yeah, they, we still have some of those like legacy villains who I, I I'm wondering if that ever becomes a thing with the vulture like does the vulture ever get characterized in a way that mm. you're just like oh interesting this is like this is digging into you know the vulture's psyche brings up some you know sure sure there's some of that definitely i mean i think like there's still an assumption rolling at marvel comics that the villains are do bad things because they want to get money and power <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and the the expectation that like what is doc ox endgame well it's to accumulate money and power (laughs) right like that's that's enough um why does he do it well he had a (laughs) yeah yeah he had an accident and he's a little little off his rocker and uh he likes he likes shiny things so i don't know yeah i kind of hear what you're saying um yeah yeah, it's i mean it's it's fine it's not the biggest complaint because the comics read pretty well and like dr octopus is a fun kind of over-the-top villain that I like anyway, but yeah. I was just thinking that of Vulture. I was just like, so what? You just want to be a crime boss, but you just walk around with wings on, I guess, and you're like a buff old man. I don't, I don't know. Like none of this really, <laughs> like, adds up to anything to me. It's just mm. a bunch of different tastes that tastes like nothing together. <clears throat> sure. So that is that was our last issue. Hey, what do you yeah, know? That's it. Yeah, we're what done. Do you know? Um, you know, we've been talking up the 1980s so much. I do have to say here, part two of this. We got at least one iconic gem in Uncanny Ooh, really? X-Men 129 to 137. So if you are joining us or have joined us somewhat recently to get in on the good stuff, we got some good stuff coming. Again, you can find the yes, issues yes. upcoming in the show notes. You can find them over on the Patreon, uh, or you can always uh, phone a friend. And oh, we're reading a Man-Thing comic. Weird. Yeah, that's a new edition. So that that's the other thing is if I'm saying this too late in the pod, but I am updating these lists as we roll uh, for new Marvel editions. Um, where's my no- uh, whatever. So anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. This is my Marvel this year. Uh, support for the show is over on patreon.com slash my Marvel this year social for the show. You can find us at my Marvel this year and you can talk with Zach that way. Let's see. Uh, music for My Marvelous Year is by Disasterpiece. Thanks to Disasterpiece mm-hmm. for continuing to support us with music. And I'm Dave. I've been talking to Zach. I'm always talking to Zach. And you know what? I'm happy about it. Oh. And we oh, look forward to more. My heart just grew three sizes too large. <laughs> oh, no, Zach. He's having an <laughs> aortal combustion. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks mm-hmm. for that. Oh, and just want to. Just want to set the table. Next next week we'll be talking about Avengers 200. Oh yeah, which I am yeah, excited yeah. and actually 
kind of nervous that we like are not equipped to talk about this properly. Uh, I don't think anyone is. For... Is the other? Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's... is. It is a monumentally baffling, just a baffling issue. So let's um, let's just say it then. So we got we got the Dark Phoenix saga coming up in part two. So that's ooh, the good stuff oh, that I'm looking excited, forward to. Yeah. We got some yep. JB, John Byrne on Fantastic Four coming. But then we mm. have one Ooh, of the most excited. famously wrong-headed ideas in Avengers history in Milestone issue number 200. Which I, I have been excited to talk about because it's not just like, it's not boring. It's definitely it is a not choice. boring. Yeah. Actually, you know, it doesn't even feel, uh, whatever. Let's let's hold off. We'll save it. Um, we'll save it for part yep. two. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Thanks, everybody, okay. for listening. As always, we will see you next year. <laughs>